vacation rentals don't make the same amount every month, right? You need an annual number uh, to, to make it work. Plus, vacation rentals have a little bit more operational expenses than a long-term rental does. Um, you've got some of those things. So for us, what we've done is we've created the 20% rule. And what that means is um, annual revenue should be at least 20% of your purchase price. What's up, everybody? My name's Mike Shogren here with my co-host, Emmanuel Pani. We're part of a group of specialized real estate investors you've probably never heard of. We didn't start with deep pockets or wealthy families, and we don't rely on 401ks, mutual funds, or traditional real estate investing. In fact, many of us don't even own the properties that fund our freedom. If you ask the money experts out there, they'd say what we do is impossible, yet it's happening every single day. It's happening through a new niche called short-term rentals. We are Short-Term Rental Nation, and these are our secrets. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Short-Term Rental Secrets Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Shogren, here with my main man and brother from another mother, Mr. Emmanuel Pani. What's up, B? My brother. Happy New Year. Uh, first show of 2022. Super excited. Um, I see that you're wearing a Mickey Mouse hat, which I assume means that you're in Orlando right now. Yes, sir. How's your house? How's your it's house great, man. I'm great. It's, it's getting there. I mean... Most of the house is done. Um, it's just all the custom rooms, which Jeff knows all about. That can take a while. So <laughs> we've got, uh, we're finishing up the, uh, the Mario room right now. The painter's up there. Um, nice. Finishing painting all the, the furniture and all that good stuff. And then, uh, yeah, man, I'm excited. I'm thinking realistically, it'll probably be live by, I was, I was hoping for the beginning of February, but it might be mid-February. We'll see how quick they can move through the rest of the house. But uh, so far, so good, man. It's been great. I've been down here since the day after Christmas, and um, we we're supposed to go home a couple of days ago, and uh, Kristen got COVID, so <laughs> now we're just quarantined down here, which yeah. there's definitely worse places to quarantine, so yeah. <laughs> I'm not minding it. It's like 75 and sunny right now, so yeah, I'm, nice. I'm, I'm good. Yeah. Dude, this COVID thing is going crazy. It's like, I don't know anybody that hasn't had it or or doesn't know somebody that had it, right? Like, yeah, I haven't had it either, but I'm like, now I like, you know, a bunch of people. And what's funny is I don't know what you're seeing, um, but we are seeing some kind of pushback to middle of COVID kind of, kind of moments of people like getting scared about reservations of people trying to cancel reservations or rescheduling reservations, um, which is which is always fun. Um, and then we are seeing more of the like last minute bookings again. So we had a couple of units that were open. Um, so really kind of like being on top of our, of our pricing and almost holding on to like, not until it's too late, but it's like almost too late to like kind of reduce it because some days I'm getting bookings like the day before I would normally reduce it. Um, so it's very interesting to just kind of keep an eye out as this thing is back and maybe it'll be gone again and, and who knows, but at the same time, you know, not to, um, I don't know, you got to look at the data, you got to look at the facts and, and if you have things open, uh, you got to play with pricing, especially if you're doing it with more than one unit. I think if you have one unit, maybe you're getting away with it, uh, but across our entire portfolio, we have to kind of pay attention a little bit more. Yeah, hundred percent. And that's what we're going to be talking about today is, is really getting into the data and, and the weeds on this stuff. And so I'm really excited to have Jeff Brown with us today. He is also a co-founder of Loma Homes. So we had Brindy on a few weeks ago. 
and we were connecting offline and she's like, you really need to talk to Jeff because he's our numbers guy. He does all of our analysis and tells us where to go and what types of properties to get. So excited to have him on today. So Jeff started his career at Target corporate headquarters as an analyst and gradually worked his way into smaller and smaller e-commerce companies like Overstock and 1-800-CONTACTS until he was approached by a startup called One Click Retail. And there he quickly became the director of operations and helped the company grow to over 100 employees, uh, achieve 70% profit margins, and complete a successful exit. And after six years at One Click Retail and 10 years in managing business, Jeff left to pursue his passion in entrepreneurship and real estate. And if he's not busy making something uh, do more with less, you usually find him sw swimming through Excel spreadsheets. So Jeff, welcome to the show, man. Excited to have you here. Thanks, Mike. Excited to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely, man. So what was that uh, What was that moment when you were like, okay, I'm going to get into short-term rentals. Like, how did that come about based on your background? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, honestly, <clears throat> my background has always been in um, data and analytics. So joining the tech startup was kind of a natural fit for me. Um, and as I was looking at, you know, I've always had the dream of having my own side gig that just, you know, su supplemented my income and that I could eventually, you know, live on one day. And so um, real estate has always been something that I've, I've looked into and followed. And as I started running numbers on different types of real estate and different ways to get into the business, it seemed really clear when you looked at, you know, what a, what a vacation rental makes, um, what, what the right choice was for me. Um, so I, I decided to try it out. This was like four or five years ago now, maybe four years ago. We bought our first uh, rental in Joshua Tree, California. Um, and I happened to know Kyle and Brandy at the time, and they were doing these house flips all across the country. And I was like, you know what? I really, I, my numbers tell me that Joshua Tree is really profitable. Now, take in, keep in mind, this is like four or five years ago. So this is before it all blew up. <clears throat> and I was like, this is, this place is hot guys. Like seriously, there's something here. And so, um, I was like, I'll, I'll pay you guys to go flip me a house in Joshua Tree. Cause the only thing there is like a bunch of trailer houses. So tell me, like, give me, give me something to work with here. They went out there and totally captured the vibe. Like it is a hippie wonderland. Like it is bohemian. Just, I don't know if, you, if you're familiar with it, but um, they bought this dome, dome, geodesic dome. They put some trailers around it. They decked it out with, with a local murals. They did all this crazy stuff. And I was like, awesome. So for pennies on the dollar, they were able to make me an Airbnb that just crushed it. And that's when I realized this needs to be something more than just like my side gig. I think we could really scale this business and go crazy and really focus on creating experiences for guests. And so that's what, that's how Loma Home started. I love it, man. I love it. And it's funny, like most people that get into the business, they just kind of like, Oh, this is interesting. They kind of like fall into it. And then they're like, wow, this is wild. Right. And then they decide to scale totally. it from there. And so what was it about Joshua tree? you know, back then, now, you know, most people, especially in this industry, know it is kind of a hotspot for STRs. What was it that you saw, you know, four or five years ago that was like, you know, this place makes sense? Yeah. So at the time, the only data source I was using was AirDNA. And so I was just pouring through all the different AirDNA reports and I was using their investability score. So, um, 
AirDNA has, a, I don't know if we've covered this before, but it has an uh, investability score that basically determines the difference between revenue or potential revenue and the average housing price. So the biggest difference between revenue and housing price is where the profit pockets are. <clears throat> and Joshua Tree was one of the areas that was highest on the list, um, but it was also an area that was fairly close, like drivable distance from my where I am. I'm from, I'm from Utah. So I could get there by car if I needed to. Um, it was also in my budget. So at the time, again, at the time, Joshua Tree was like dirt cheap. You could get like 10 acres of land for 10 grand. I mean, it was crazy. Um, so, you know, that's, that was for me, a combination of those things was, was why I picked Joshua Tree. I love it. I love it. And now that you've been in this a while, how has your approach changed to analyzing future markets? Because you guys are in a bunch of markets now. So what goes into your analysis now when you're analyzing markets, especially new markets, I guess, for you guys to enter into? Yeah, yeah, it's a good question. And I'd say it's kind of multifaceted. I'd say it's like we do it in phases. So we start with a macro approach. Um, we're willing to go anywhere in the country. Like I said, I was in Utah when I started my first Airbnb and I bought a property that was like eight, nine hours away in drive. <clears throat> and so um, I learned from that, that you really can manage the vacation rental from anywhere um, if you have good boots on the ground. And so um, the first thing we start with is again, that macro level, where are the most profitable pockets? So again, where's the difference between potential revenue and the, the house, the price of the house, because that's really your biggest expense is your mortgage, right? Um, and so trying to lower that amount of your mortgage uh, in relation to your revenue is key. Um, so we, we start with, say, three or four locations. Um, we'll even go use AirDNA for that. It's a really good way to just kind of get a macro approach. We find the AirDNA is great for the macro level, especially if you're looking at multi, you know, three or four years in, the, in, the, in history. There aren't very many um, analytic companies out there that have more than a couple of years because it's such a new industry. And so AirDNA has the most history and we'll use that to determine where those pockets are. So right now you'll see a lot of um, Gulf Coast of Florida. You'll see Gatlinburg come up in there. You'll see, and, and I've heard some different mixed reviews about Gatlinburg just from people that are there, but that's just recently. Um, Hawaii is another one. Um, so th there's just these, these general areas. And so that's kind of where we start to narrow down the focus is start with AirDNA, get a free blog report that they have. You don't even have to pay for the data. Just look at their blog, best places to invest for 2022 and pick one of those areas. Then once you get in that, you just narrow down, you know, thousands of cities down to a handful. And then you can start dig digging in a little bit deeper. Um, we like to use Price Labs for some of the more micro level data. Um, Price Labs seems to be better at estimating individual property revenue. Um, we've actually compared the, our revenue of our properties with what they're reporting and it's, it's pretty close. Um, so we like to use that. <clears throat> and then, um, we also use that when we're, when we're pick, picking a specific house, we'll, we'll, we'll buy a report for just a very, very honed in area. Um, and we've got some ratios and measures that we use to determine if it would hit our profitability thresholds. Gotcha. Would you, would you mind sharing what some of those ratios are? 
Yeah, for sure. Um, so we, uh, in traditional real estate, you may have heard of the 1% rule. Uh, and what it means is <clears throat> that your um, monthly rents, so let's say you rent a house for $2,000 a month, um, should be uh, at least 1% of the purchase price. So that would mean that you're, you'd rent it for $2,000 a month, but maybe it, it, should, it should cost no more than $200,000 if you're running it for 2000 a month, right? <clears throat> That's the 1% rule. So we created one for vacation rentals because vacation rentals don't make the same amount every month, right? You need an annual number uh, to, to make it work. Plus vacation rentals have a little bit more operational expenses than a long-term rental does. Um, you've got some of those things. So for us, what we've done, is we've created the 20% rule. And what that means is um, annual revenue should be at least 20% of your purchase price. So um, now we do that because we have investors that buy our properties and we share the profits of our, pro of our properties with those investors. So we try to create a larger profit margin than most. <clears throat> um, but what I would say is that, you know, for the average person out there who's not splitting with investors and not doing any of those things, I'd say a 15% rule is, is plenty. Even if you did that, you'd still be very, very profitable. And if you're going to do your management in-house, again, that's very, very profitable. So um, you could maybe even go down to like a 12 or 13% rule um, if, you're, if you're doing that. So again, that's annual revenue divided by purchase price to give you your, your ratio. I love that. I love that. And because it's such, sorry. I think we're I was gonna say, saying the same words one for one. So go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say, E and I were talking about that because people ask us those ratios all the time. And I was talking to Brindy about this and I was like, looking at my portfolio, I told my students, I'm like, the 20% rule, exactly what you guys said is like what I use. And one of the things yeah. I talked to Brindy about, and I'd love your take on this too, is place like this, like what we're doing, the custom stuff like you guys did around mm -hmm. here, is it 20% of the purchase price or 20% of the purchase price plus the renovations? Because the renovations, renovations on a place like this, yeah. exactly. Mm -hmm. So a custom home like this, when you're doing themed rooms and all that stuff, you got to factor that in because it's not a typical build out. It's going to cost right. a lot more to do that kind of stuff. Totally. Yeah, you do need to consider any renovations and staging that go into that as well. So definitely factor that in. Well, I mean, and then if, one, you, if, if you do that and you're doing the 20% rule, your chances are you're getting a, a pretty good deal because if you're already factoring yeah. in all the furnishing, all the staging, and you're still meeting this 20%, chances are you're looking at a home run but again i think yeah. like 15 percent if you're managing it yourself or if it's somewhere that you like have not as many expenses or you don't have investors um it's a realistic number um yeah. sorry mike i didn't mean to cut you off no no that's yeah. great i was no. just gonna say for clarification purposes on the um the market reports, you're talking about price labs for the individual ones where you can set like a five mile radius or whatever. Yes. Just for clarification yeah. for the listeners. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Okay. Thanks for clarifying. And the other thing I want to say is um, right now the market's so hot. Um, you're not going to find a 20% rule or, I mean, it's, it's going to be very, very difficult to find a 20% rule house as a turnkey property. You're not going to find, go on the Zillow and just like pick one and be like, oh, this is a 20%. Um, we have to rehab them significantly to get it to create that much value. Mm -hmm. um, so usually we'll have to uh, take like a three bedroom home, uh, renovate the garage or so let me give you an example. So we had a three bedroom home in Miramar Beach. 
the entire first floor was just garage. They didn't utilize it at all. So we took that oh, whole wow. first floor and we wiped it out. We, we reconstructed the whole thing. So we added three bedrooms. Um, the location of the house was great. So it ended up being a six bedroom house instead of a three bedroom. And that's how we were able to create that 20% rule within that house. So again, I mean, if you can find a 20% rule just off the market and rent it as is, great. My, my guess is it's going to be hard to do um, like that. There still are 15% rules I've seen on Zillow, um, but it's, it's difficult to find without some, some good rehab. Yeah. And I think that that's where the, the, cause I, I mean, being a multifamily investor, right. That's always our, my mindset is like, how can I force appreciation? Right. And obviously if you can find a way to add a bedroom, that makes a big difference because a lot of the time, especially as you start playing around with the numbers and knowing your market, what you'll find out is like, shit, if I have one extra bedroom, this property goes from not really making sense to making a lot of sense. Like I'm talking an extra like 30, Absolutely. 40K and you're just like, it's an extra bedroom, but it makes all the difference, right? Um, yes. Jeff, what I would love to talk about is, because I know we have this when we look at multifamily market is, do you have red flags? So what I mean by that is, for example, for us, when we look at a multifamily market, if the population is declining, then that's one of the like very entry kind of like parameters that we have. If the population is declining, it's immediate a no, because no matter what else we have on there, if that is not met, we're like, this is off the list. So have you found a red flag like that? in yeah in your analysis yeah i have um <clears throat> most of our red, red flags I'm, I'm i'm thinking off the top of my head the one that comes uh, quickest to mind is around regulation so when it comes to short-term rentals you've got to invest in in areas that you can legally have a right to be there um i don't recommend investing in a location where um, some people will, will pick like this really small town and they're like, hey, there's there's no regulation in this area. There's no legislation around short term rentals. So I'm good. I would prefer to, to invest in a larger market where the legislation has already addressed short term rentals and you're allowed to be there with a license. Um, because, for example, Joshua Tree, when we first bought there, that was my attitude. I was like, hey, there's no there's no regulation here. And we moved in. And guess what? Neighbors didn't really like us there. And um, we tried our best to keep the parties down, keep the noise down. We really tried hard, um, but the neighbors did not like us. And so um, it, it created a very challenging situation where if they would have reported us at that time, because there was no regulation yet, they te technically could have fined us and all these things. And so um, it's just really important that you, you, identify the community when you identify the community that there's no HOA against short-term rentals or that there's that you can get a license to be there so that's number one mm -hmm. I, I think that's super important because I think longevity and worst case scenario it's always better especially if you're like I mean especially with what you guys are doing right if you're going to go extreme makeover kind of thing you need to be there for the long term and that's another thing that is just like the reason why i am not a huge fan of rental arbitrage because to me by nature that model has hiccups because if i am the landlord no matter how awesome you are i'm like i'm gonna sell this what are you gonna do 
Yeah. Right? So to me, like all your investment in, yeah. in, in the listing and the reviews and everything else goes, goes, goes to waste. So, um, it's a good point. Yeah. I love that you said that. I lost my train of thought when you were talking about that, but that was a good point. Um, oh, what I was going to say is just reiterating Jeff's point about the regulations. I get so many DMS from people asking me, how do I get around the regulations? And I'm like, mm. you don't just, you don't. this plenty of markets out there like jeff was talking about where it's already established it's fine place like this Kissimmee area like there's tons of places around that it's already established and you're good to go you just get your permits do whatever you need to do you know set your taxes up properly and you're fine you don't want to start off on the wrong foot and start to build this company and then everything implodes because you built it on some sand instead of some you know good foundation so it's just Absolutely. not worth your time yeah. So what in what are you guys looking at now? When we were talking with Brindy, you know, you guys are in a few different markets. Like, where do you see Loma Homes going for 2022 now? Like, where are you guys tending to focus? Good, good question. Um, you know, if you'd have asked me six months ago, I would have said Gatlinburg was probably the next place. Um, I'm starting to hear some mixed reviews on Gatlinburg. It sounds like a lot of the COVID boom, the COVID spike that they experience um, is cooling down quite a lot. And, and the entrance to that market have really gone heavy. So I'll, I'll need to, we'll need to reanalyze that before we jump in there. <clears throat> that said, we're, we're, we're a little bit unique in that we, we don't mind competition. Um, we like big markets because we're able to make the property so unique unique that a large market is just a sign of large demand so um as long as we can put place ourselves in that top 10 percentile of properties you know we're not afraid of competition that said the economics of the area still have to work out right so um so anyway gatlinburg i'd say was one um questions question mark there um south carolina uh, Charleston came up on our on our radar as having some uh, profitability potential, as well as Hawaii. Now Hawaii is tricky because again, because COVID is like back and forth, and Hawaii has such strict regulations that it's really risky now. But there might be some buying opportunities if you're willing to take that extra risk and invest in the long term. Um, there's a there's some areas in Hawaii like Lahaina and and others that are just bonkers, like in terms of their profitability potential. Um, getting that twenty percent rule is like no problem. Um, so, but the, again, the, the downside there is it's just really expensive properties that you have to buy to get there. So, so as long as you're <clears throat> willing to buy a two or three million dollar property, um, then then you can do that. So those those are just some of the areas we've considered recently. What advice would you give somebody that's newer? Because I know like we've been talking about this house for a while. I mean, it's a big, it's a 10 bedroom. It's big, like some of the house that you guys have around here. And there were reasons for that based on the research and profitability based on mm -hmm. size. What would you tell somebody that's getting into the business? Because again, people ask me, you know, well, should I just get a studio or one bedroom? And I have my answer for that, but I'd love to hear that from you as far as choosing a property size and price point. <laughs> Yeah, it's a really good question, and, and I hate I hate the answer. It depends, but I'll give 
give you why it depends. And that is if you're kind of on the fence on whether you want to or not, um, I recommend doing it with the lowest risk possible. So if you have a basement that you can rent, I think you need to try out the lifestyle because like, I don't think short-term rentals are as passive as some people make it out to be. Um, and I think it's important to manage guests and being in the hospitality business before you commit to it long-term, before you put $100,000 on a down payment and rehab and all of that. I think it's, it's just good to, to make sure that it works for you. Um, so that's the advice I would give. Now, if you're gung-ho and you're like, hey, this is, I don't care what the, what the challenges are, I'm gonna push through them because this is my strategy. Well then go all in, pick any, pick any location in the United States that's most profitable and just focus on profitability and long-term success. Just, just do that um, because there's plenty of success to be had for anyone that wants to jump in still. Um, but you have to, it has to fit your life and your lifestyle. Um, customer service is a key element of being successful in this, in this industry. And if you're, if you tend to have emotional reactions to somebody trashing your house might not be the best fit for you. Yeah. I love that. I don't think, I don't think anybody has ever brought, brought up the emotional reactions to somebody trashing your house, but that's, that's a real thing, right? Or like having an emotional response to people's comments, right? Like I used to get so heated because I used to take everything as a personal, personal comment, right? Mm -hmm. So being able to like, kind of separate the two things. Um, And I think also another thing that you said that was absolutely great is, is as an analytical person, um, sometimes just the proof of concept is what you need. So like doing it in your basement or doing it, whatever, because obviously based on your personality, the way to get started can be very, very, very different, right? Um, but mm-hmm. if you have those over analytical, because I think there is a lot of people that are, are used to being analytical and can underwrite deals. And now they're in that like ana- analysis paralysis kind of thing. Right. Um, which I, I assume you being a, like a data analyst, there was a possibility of that being an issue for you maybe. Um, so how would you tell somebody that has a similar mindset to you and a similar like head to you that you're like, okay, I need to analyze everything, I analyze it. And then you have the little what if that goes on in the back of your head. Mm-hmm. How do you kind of mute yeah. that what if to just like take action? That's a really good question. And I wish I knew the answer to that because I, I think of a lot of entrepreneurs, not just in short-term rentals, but there's so many people that have great ideas out there that just never do anything about it. And um, I, I, I think it's a personality difference. Um, you know, I think my father-in-law is kind of an analysis paralysis guy. He just, he just, he can't like buy something because he's, he's analyzing all the different options and all the different, uh, you know, sales that are going on. He just never buys anything because, you know, um, what I would say, the things that have given me, um, comfort, uh, in, in taking the next step is either finding a mentor, um, finding someone that will kind of help you along and give you a third party perspective on it. Um, Mm -hmm. or just talk to a, talk to one of the hosts, like reach out to a host that is in your market. You'll be surprised how willing to help people are. Um, just message somebody and say, Hey, I'd love to talk to you about your rental. Can you, you know, I've, I've gotten tons of people 
who have messaged us on Airbnb and said, can I just talk to you? Like, I just want to know how you do what you do. And I do. I jump on the phone with them and we talk about short-term rentals and and they, they throw their numbers at me and I give them my opinions. And especially for somebody local to the area, I think that's really important is just get another opinion um, so that you you know what, what experience people are having. Yeah, hey, that's great advice. Yeah, and I, I still use that even today. I mean, when we looked at this place, I stayed at the lady's house literally across the street. I paid way more than I needed to. I rented a six bedroom house for my wife and I, cause I wanted to stay in the area. <laughs> and then like, we just talked and I was like, you know, she was super open. I think that's one of the things that I love most about this industry is like, people are willing to help. And they're just like, technically she's competition right there, but she's like, oh yeah, like, this is what you want to do. Focus on this. Don't worry about this, you know, and just being super helpful. For me. So if you can make the trip to whatever market you're going to go, like go stay at somebody's place, like put out a little bit of money, mm -hmm. you know, pay to stay at their place. And then just be like, Hey, this is great. Like I'm looking at a property around here, any pointers or whatever, or, you know, can we jump on a call okay. and, you know, the coffee thing might be out the window, depending on people's COVID, whatever situation, yeah. their opinion, but, but yeah. whatever. Um, awesome, man. So I want to be super respectful of your time. I know we're getting close to the end of the hour. So before we get into the last question, I, I want to acknowledge you and thank you for coming on here and, and sharing all your wisdom and kind of breaking down how you guys analyze markets, how you analyze properties and how to move forward and actually grow a profitable business and keep growing and bring on investors and do all those things that can sound really scary at the beginning. But when you can set some parameters for yourself, like the 20% rule and some other things that we were talking about, like it just helps to create a more black and white go, no go decision to help get out of that analysis paralysis. Um, so where can folks learn more about you and Loma Homes? Yeah. Um, so you can go on our website. It's www.loma-homes.com. Or you can email me directly at Jeff, J-E-F-F, -F, at loma-homes.com. Um, and happy to answer any questions you have. Uh, we like to like to share knowledge and um, we have a very uh, abundance mentality. You know, there's enough to go around for everybody. So um, let's, let's share knowledge. I love it. I love it. And the last question that we like to ask all of our guests is what is your number one secret to success with short-term rentals? Good question. Um, <clears throat> Um, so I would say, um, there's, there's, well, you, you asked for, for one thing, uh, and it is one thing, but, um, that when there's the old adage that says with real estate, there's three things that matter, location, 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 right? And, um, I don't think short-term rental is any, any exception to that rule. Um, pick a good location and you can't get it wrong pick a bad location and you're going to have a hard time getting it right. So um, I would say pick a good location. That's my, that's my number one success. Love it. Love it. Well, Jeff, thank you again so much for coming on here. Truly appreciate you. Wish you and Brindy and the Loma Homes team, nothing but the best. And uh, looking forward to connecting with you guys when you're, well, hopefully we're all in this market together at some point. So thanks again for being on the show and we'll talk soon. Awesome. Thanks guys. Appreciate it. Bye, guys. Absolutely. Take care, everybody. Bye-bye.
Hey, STR Nation, if you enjoyed this episode, please make sure to hit that subscribe button and leave us a review. And in the comments, let us know what topics you want us to cover on upcoming episodes, and we'll make sure to get that in the books for you. And if you really want to learn how to launch, automate, and scale your short-term rental business, if you want to go deeper, then check out our free masterclass at strsecrets.com.